want to make one uh, just quick announcement, and that is next Sunday. It just so happened when I knew that Derek was going to leave and talking to Derek, you know, about filling the pulpit. He certainly gave me a, a green light to uh, seek out other speakers as well. And so I went back over my roster of our August guest speaker series, and I thought one that would be very timely is Dr. Brick Lance, who is an orthopedic surgeon with Slocum um, Center down there in Eugene, Oregon, quite a reputable. He came about two years ago and spoke on two Sundays. And uh, what I appreciate about him that I think uh, you need to, whether you're here, certainly stream, uh, uh, is how he's integrated uh, scripture, uh, just a passion for scripture, and integrate it with the science of medicine. And all the more in this day and age, um, uh, because he'll bring an expertise and a perspective that um, it's outside of our realm that might challenge you. So I would encourage, uh, and the other nice thing about it, in talking with him, uh, little did he know, or at least I can't remember the chain whether I told him, he's going to use the backdrop of the prayer in Ephesians. The title of his talk will be A Physician's Prayer. That should say something in this COVID season of physician's prayer. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians 1 for our talk this morning. We're really wrapping up chapter 1. Um, uh, God is at work today. Uh, great theme, uh, Matt, once again, the battle is God. The battle belongs to God. I need to be reminded of that, especially when my emotions are yelling at me and screaming and I'm losing perspective, turbulence. You know what happens when my mind goes out the door? Irrationality comes, uh, uh, takes hold. You know, and, and to rehearse the battle, to rehearse the battle begins to, uh, the battle is God's is a tough time during that season. This message, what we are going to rehearse, is that God is at work today. So we can relax a little bit. Yeah, life is turbulent. Life seems bad. But that's why we have the scriptures. That's why we come back and rehearse some basic truths. Because we understand how our mind works and the irrationality, the emotions, and how it can trigger such uh, uh, thoughts that we can come back to some anchor point, some biblical perspective. And today is that God's in control. God's in control. We're going to see that God is at work today, and we're going to see that God is ruling, God is leading, and God is feeling. Not feeling, F feeling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G. God is feeling. So let's look at the first one. God is ruling. First, join me uh, there in Ephesians 1, particularly verse 20. Uh, uh, just prior to that, in the prayer, which Dr. Brick, um, Dr. Lance... Uh, I keep getting brick lance. Dr. Brick will be bringing his prayer in verse 19. And even the second song we sang this morning about God's power, it says here, may we know his incompre incomprehensible great power for us who believe. That's in verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. 
far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So remember that God is working a plan. He is active and he is working. He is moving us towards that day, the age to come, where all things will be united. And he's demonstrating he has the power. And we see that in the verse when it tells us that he exerted this mighty strength when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. The resurrection is testimony, evidence, that God has the power, he's in control, he's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, you know, we see power in a hurricane, tornado. We see nuclear power through rockets and bombs, and we have developed the ability to measure these powers. We've come up with formulas and then assigned these uh, powers to a number, like on a Richter scale or hurricanes on a grid with a, a number that we categorize it. We use uh, miles per hour, megatons, kilotons to measure atomic or nuclear power. What measures the power of raising someone from the dead? What term can you give that power? Scripture says in Ephesians, it's immeasurable. There, there is no quantifying uh, that kind of power. This is why we can have confidence, even though life seems out of control, even though it seems turbulent and crazy, even though my emotions uh, are starting to trick me. Come back here to God's power, the immeasurable power. God is in control. God not only has the power to do it, but we see in this passage of Scripture, he has the authority. Not only did he raise him from the dead, but he ascended, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Not to rest, but to rule. It is what some church traditions call the sessions of Christ. The sessions of Christ. It's Latin. This is why in a legal proceeding after the sitting of a judge or a jury, someone may come in and say, the court is now in session. The jury or the judge, the person who has the authority to rule, is there and ready to act on the case. Christ has the authority to rule, seen by his uh, sitting at the right hand. Ephesus, this region that uh, our, our study is in, it was dominated by superstition and magic and the occult. That's where we have the temple of Diana and Artemis. Paul's first order of business in Ephesians is to tear down the old structures of belief. Falsehoods. Things that maybe even you and I carry uh, somewhere in our own minds. They have to be torn down, beliefs that keep us in bondage. Acts 19, 
What a story, and I just had to include this because of the humor. You know, uh, Paul is going around and doing all sorts of, it says in Scripture, extraordinary miracles. Things are happening. There's movement towards uh, this message that Paul is delivering. But yet there's this bondage to uh, the occult and to superstition and magic and chance that has them in bondage rather than Jesus Christ. And we read here in verse, starting with verse 13, now there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over these evil spirits because they saw the extraordinary ability that Paul had. So they thought they could get in on it. They would say, I bind you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Sethoth, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Eventually, one of the evil spirits answered them. Yeah, I like this. Jesus, I know. I know about Paul. But who are you? The evil spirit is saying that. You know, we we read it, even it gets more comical if you you read on, that uh, the guy that was possessed, that the spirit was coming on, all of a sudden went uh, bananas and attacked them, and they they ran out scared. See, he's dismantling some belief systems uh, that are getting in the way of understanding about a personal God that has, has the power to rise from the dead, that's seated at the right hand of God. He has the authority to rule. And it's not chance. It's not superstition. It's not magic. We read uh, the conclusion there in verse uh, 19. This still Acts 19, the, the story of the dismantling of uh, all the superstition and magic the occult, a number who had practiced sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculate, calculated the value of the scrolls, they totaled 50,000 pieces of silver or drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Ruling, ruling is not by chance or luck or superstition for a follower of Jesus Christ. It's God, a personal God. The Ephesians quit believing in chance and magic. You know, we have two choices to explain the world and life. Either chance, luck, superstition, and personal fate. I put them all in the same category. And even some of the religious belief that have this pantheon of, of gods, even there where they don't know if they have satisfied them or if they have been appeased, that's still a sense of chance. Have I done enough to win the approval? Or you have a personal God who's in control, what we call sovereign. A personal God that you willingly are invited to submit to as ruler. Even a secular Secularists, if asked how life originated, they must make either chance their God. Chance can be a God, or or magic can be a God, or else they have to say, I don't know. But everybody has a God that they attribute. 
too. God is at work to bring us to the age to come when all things will be united. And we see this by his power. It may not appear that way because not everybody will subject themselves to this God. But that does not mean he's not ruling. The fact that people do not subject themselves to it. The second thing that God's doing in this age to bring us to the age to come that leaves, uh, uh, brings us to this day that uh, all things will be united is he's leading the church. God is leading. Look there at verse 22. And God put everything, everything under Jesus Christ's feet and made him, Jesus Christ, head over everything for the church. God, through Jesus Christ, is the head of the church, it's telling us there. Paul is the only one who uses this terminology when he goes on to say he's put everything um, for the church, which is his body, which is the body of Christ. This analogy or, or the metaphor of the head and the body that Paul is using here is unique to him. Believing that uh, many see this as not only the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, but it's rich with meaning and passion for Paul because of his firsthand conversion experience. We read in Acts 9.4 these words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now Paul probably would have, you know, because he was a zealous, a Jew, a God-fearing man, he probably would say, what do you mean, why am I persecuting you, God? I'm eradicating the world of fanatics of Jesus Christ. I'm not attacking you. I'm going after the assemblies that gather in the name of that carpenter, Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth. On the road to Damascus, when God blinds and confronts Paul, he tells him, just as you attack the followers of Jesus Christ, you are attacking me. Whoa. We see this inseparable link between God and the church. We see it several places in, in Scripture. Uh, in Matthew 25, uh, this is coming the parable at the time of judgment where the separation of the sheep and, and the goats. And the telling of, of this parable in Matthew 25 it tells us, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And they asked, because again, the king, the ruler, it's a parable, but Jesus Christ is not in the picture. The king is not in the picture. And so they asked, well, when did this happen? You weren't here. Uh, Jesus Christ, you weren't here. The king was not here. You were gone in heaven. And here's the answer. And the king will reply, will reply in the day of judgment when Christ comes back. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these 
brothers of mine or brethren, a term that is used to describe the church, the relationship that we have in Christ, one with another. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. The brethren of Jesus are the church. If you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. If you show love and affection to the church, you show love and affection to Jesus. The church is his body. It is the physical form of his presence on earth. You touch the church and you touch the body of God, which means you touch Christ. The head and the body are, are one. The head, I, I like one commentary, I can't even remember where I read it. The head is not sewn on, it's not stapled on, it's not glued on. It's organic. It shares, the head shares the very same tissue as the rest of the body. This means Derek, Ed, the elders, we are not the head of the church. We are not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is head of the church. We all. And you're not the head of the church. You're not the head of the church. We all operate under him. And Ephesians, and I think about Ephesians, it gives us a blueprint how this body under his headship is to operate and how we operate together to help advance the day. The, the bigger issue that's before us is to bring about that day when all things will be, be united in Christ. This tells me the church is more than a business and it's more than a family. We use these expressions because they are biblical and there are aspects of the church that those terms help us to understand. It is a business and a family, but much more. The church is linked to Jesus Christ, God himself. When we come to a congregational meeting, like we're going to this afternoon at 1 o'clock, to discuss church family affairs and make decisions, realize the soberness of the moment. When we come together to discuss family issues, even when we disagree, may an understanding that God is the head give us a reverence that tempers our conduct. When we vote, whether in the past or in the future, may you cast it with the understanding that God is the head and you are helping to discern God himself is leading this particular church here in Dallas. Come soberly, seeking God's agenda, not intoxicated with one's personal preference. You know, we all enjoy those light-hearted, uh, you know, congregational meetings, light-hearted, fun, happy, you know, a lot of joking, smiling. 
Uh, and, and sometimes in that, same thing's true of worship, how sometimes we call it celebration, and, and, uh, and, and I love it, and I wouldn't want it any other way. But I know within myself, sometimes it's easy then to lose sight of the spiritual significance of what we're doing and what's being transacted in the spiritual realm. Same thing. We need, even uh, with those uh, uh, family meetings that are lighthearted and fun, come with a somberness that reflects we do have a deep understanding of the interrelationship of Christ and the church. The last thing we see here is that God is feeling. Again, in both 22 and 23, but it tells us that he is head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who... The church, Jesus Christ's head, is his body, which is his body, the fullness of him, who the church fills everything in every way. Christ, as head of the church, is working through the church to fill everything in every way. He is working to fill the universe. I think the best commentary on this is Ephesians 3.10 and 11. Look there. You know, how? How is God, Christ's head, how is Christ, how is Jesus Christ feeling the world? His intent was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of, of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Now, uh, if that's, that should sober us. This activity we're engaged with is not only to fill the uh, uh, earth around us and to have an impact, but something's being transmitted, happening in heavenly realms at the same time. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The fullness of God will be understood and then realized experientially through the church filling the earth. Christ filling the earth is through you and me. The church is the embodiment or showcase of God's perfection. God chose to work through the church to orchestrate his plan to move us from this age to the next when all things will be united. You know, first question is, I ask, why? Why God? Take that. And it's, that's what we're to be doing. We, we could get so caught up in theological uh, uh, discussion that we don't focus on what we know we ought to be doing. And that is feeling the earth. God chose to work through the church to orchestrate his plan to move us from this age to the next when all things will be united. The church's assignment in this age is to prepare us for the age to come when all things will be united. And so he tells us to go and fill the earth. Some will call this the church age for that reason. The church age. Um, 
I've I just been blessed by John Piper so many times. And so, uh, you know, reading his uh, thoughts and reflections on this passage of Scripture, let me read this commentary in, in light of this idea of the church feeling uh, um, the earth. Now, my son, this is Piper in his commentary. Now, my son, you and those with whom you are united as head to body go forth in the universe because of the effects in the heavenly realms we read about in Ephesians 3, go forth in the universe and fill it with all that you are in your body, that everything from the highest heaven to the lowest hell be filled with a revelation of your glorious perfections in the form of a chosen, destined, blood-bought, called, justified, holy, glorified, infinitely, everlasting, satisfied people, your body, the church of the living God. Amen. And then I, I like what he tells his folks. Let's just go out. His church is in Minneapolis. Let's go out and fill Minneapolis. Another way to express this feeling of everything is to say, let's saturate Dallas and the greater Polk County area with the fullness of God. Saturate or fill your space that you occupy with this fullness of God by exuding, emitting your satisfaction is in the perfections of God. That your delight and satisfaction is in God to the point it emits out of your pores. In other words, your delight and satisfaction is of such a magnitude you can't contain it. It flows out. It becomes not just what you talk about, but it becomes who you are. And so wherever you go, it is spilling out and starting to feel or saturate your space. You know, some, uh, understandable, and we've had fun with this, have taken issues, you know, with this um, book uh, that many have read that's called Saturate. And, you know, that's fine, and, and it's good discussion. It's fine to take issue with a book authored by man. But once again, you know, we can spend a lot of time arguing the points in the book and forget the main focus and the main question in front of us, which is, how are we going to feel Dallas and the greater Polk County area? How are we going to saturate the area that God is asking this church body in light of its location to feel? This kind of feeling or saturation does not come through a program, but it comes from God's people doing life. Life is the program. Life is the program. That's why sometimes it starts when we go out the doors. This is the work God is doing today. He is doing the work today. You are invited to partner, to be a, a, a willing follower, engaged in this bigger picture plan of moving us from this age 
to the age to come when all things will be united by feeling, saturating. But God is at work ruling. He has the authority. He has the power. He's at work leading the church. And he's at work feeling the universe. Join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you. Because this is a, a spiritual assignment of such magnitude, uh, I'm overwhelmed. But you know, God, you, you say to us, uh -uh, Ed, just take what I've given to you. Just be yourself. God, uh, allow me to grow in you so that it begins to spill out. God, this is why we can sing that song, The Battle is God's. Because you rule, you lead, and you fill. And this is the God we worship. The God that we can only dream about trying to understand his insurpassable power. Thank you, Lord. Amen.